Hello and welcome back to Parallel Passion. With me today is Primoz Ziegler, who is a co-founder of Proteus Teams. If you like this show, please share it with your friends. You can also support us via Patreon. Every like, every retweet and every dollar helps us getting off the ground. Thanks. In the episode, we talked about Primoz's passion for windsurfing and astrophotography. In the second half, we turn to heavier topics like burnout and depression. The end result is a bit darker discussion than usual, but I really enjoyed it and I hope you do too. Hi Primoz, welcome to Parallel Passion. Hi Miha, thanks for having me here. So let's begin at the beginning. Um, who are you actually and um, what, what it is that, that you do? Okay, so I'm co-founder of uh, Proteus Teams. We're a product software company. Our mission is that we create software for building websites and our customers are people who don't know how to code. So mm -hmm. uh, the agencies and freelancers who are setting websites for their clients, but they're not really developers. They're more or less people who know how to get around, um, set up the website for, for their clients. And lately, we've been focusing mostly on the WordPress and WordPress teams, but we have some more exciting projects lined up for the future. Okay, that certainly sounds interesting. Uh, do you want to go into that or is it sort of a secret still? Um, it's not really a secret, but it's not definite yet. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, on Wednesday, uh, two days from now, we're going to Croatian coastline for two days. Uh, to what we call a brainstorming retreat, which we do now twice a year at our company. And uh, we'll be debating a lot about what we'll be doing uh, for the rest of this year, but also where we want to be in three or four years from now. Mm. So we, we have some ideas, but we are not 100% certain which one we'll go after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and I saw, well, read about um, sort of spin-offing one of the things that you worked on, like Proteus Pay, I think it's called. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, Proteus Pay was actually, um, let's say, a hobby project, uh, internal hobby project, which uh, didn't really go well within our mission. So I decided that we'll either um close it down or sell it but then the um our employee gregor who wrote majority of the code for it uh, he said he sees a lot of potential in it and he'd like to um kind of acquire it or buy it or uh, do something about it and yes um i was we we kind of had this discussion uh, he really had lots of passion for it and i saw that he's also thinking about it uh, a lot from the business perspective, not only from the developers. And I say, let's why why not try? So yeah, uh, he's now the new owner of the of that product. Yeah, that's that's cool. It's it's always um, inspiring to see people who are really passionate about something to then can they can like move it on by themselves, and they um, they will work much better if it's working on something that they really want to work on. I guess. For me, it's also a new venture, uh, so I don't know exactly how it will go, mm -hmm. but uh, the start is really promising. Uh, it's now two months since we signed the signed, uh, contract, and um, 
yeah, I'm looking forward to what Gregor will do about it. And to quickly go back to that uh, brainstorming uh, retreats that you do, um, how come you do this and how, how did you get the idea of, of that? Okay, so um, basically we've been doing this now for, I think this will be the fourth year that we go um, at the end of May or start of June. Uh, to the brainstorming retreat. Mm -hmm. At first, we didn't call it really that. We just kind of um, said, let's go to the seaside and work a couple of uh, days from there because it's nice and because we're remote first company, so we can just move anywhere really we like. And um, the other employee, Marco, um, he had a, like his family has a house there and they said like just come here, it's empty, you can you can come here over and work from here. So we started doing that every year and we figured it out that when we change the location, the entire team, mm -hmm. uh, we get into this different mindset that, that we start actually um, debating new ideas, crazy ideas, I don't know. Um, we're talking about a lot about the, the things that are not going well or what each of us would like to do in the future and uh, so this now became a standard practice uh, previous years we just did this this uh, once a year at the end of may but this year we also did it uh, at the start of this year so in january because we had a little bit of crisis at that time and um we were sure that we want to change something about the way we do and the products we will be like more or less doing the pretty much the same thing uh, for the past five years. And we also did it in um, January. So I think now that like every six months is a really, really good um, time scale to let's go somewhere for two days um, without too much, let's say, um, too much constraints and just think out loudly about crazy ideas and uh, the stuff that uh, we see prospective in the future. I, I wanted to say that it was just a disguise for you to, to take on windsurfing, but uh, apparently if you did it in January, uh, I, I guess it's it's not just that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not, not, not just that, but yeah, we'll come to this as well. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, on the topic, um, how did you find your way into windsurfing and how long have you been doing this? Okay, um, this has been now, I think, six years. Actually, seven, I think. Um, I was still a student. I was studying uh, astrophysics. And a friend of mine, the classmate there, he invited me to Peleshats, to Croatia one summer. He said, like, come over, you will see I'm windsurfing and you can also try it. At that time, actually... Um, my picture of windsurfing was from my childhood when we were going uh, with a family to Croatia and I was, uh, I, I could see there people from the beach like trying to windsurf, mm -hmm. not so windsurfing, but trying to windsurf. But that was my picture of it. Like, so it was like pulling up the sail from water and maybe like sailing for, I don't know, 10 seconds very slowly. And that was it. And I was like, okay, it like doesn't sound really uh, very, uh, doesn't look like very interesting sport. Mm -hmm. But then when I went to Peleshets, um, there is, uh, there's like quite popular spot in, in Croatia. And the people who really know how to windsurf go there for vacations. 
And that was for the first time when I really saw how the windsurfing looks like, not just trying, but really doing the windsurfing. So planning and going fast and doing the turns and doing some freestyle moves. And I was just impressed that day. And like I arrived, I remember in the afternoon and right in the morning, the next day, I went uh, to the station and I said, I want to try this. And um, yeah, there was some guy, he, he taught me like, the basics and after half an hour i i stood up on the surfboard and that was it hmm. that that was it the rest is the history <laughs> yeah I, I think i know which uh area or like channel you you're talking about because uh we went past there with uh, when you go with the ferry to Cortula, and there's like a ton of windsurfers in there and it looks like from from a ferry it looks really really cool yeah exactly yeah there are in Top summer, there are like a couple hundred people there, I guess. I don't know. I haven't been there now for three years. I'm planning to go again this year there. But I know that there were like, yeah, lots of people there. Yeah, and everything is so colorful. Because if you just have like the regular surfers... Um, uh, I'm not trying to offend anyone here, but like it sort of looks boring. Like you just see people standing on their on their desk. Um, I, I know it's not easy or whatever. It's just like it looks boring. But when you have all these windsurfs there, like all over the channel, everything is like full of different colors. Um, some people are just like you said, trying to stand. Then there are some people going like really fast. You have some of them trying to do some jumps or whatever. Um, it's also enjoyable if you like seeing people fail at things <laughs> which i sometimes do uh so so yeah it's uh even from distance it's uh it's an interesting sport yeah yeah i absolutely agree and that was also my initial impression when i came there it was just as i said mind-blowing and just sucked me into it from that moment on then the next winter i went to egypt with the slovenian windsurfing school which is actually very popular like they have i don't know they go over the year to 10 different locations um and they have like all almost all their camps are full and like up to 100 people and so so yeah in slovenia windsurfing is actually quite popular and also you can um, quite easily get a secondhand equipment which mm -hmm. is uh, awesome for when you're starting because Obviously, you're progressing fast and you will be changing equipment. Um, and also, at the beginning, you're braking a lot and it's very expensive. So it's good to have secondhand that you don't... I mean, you still care about it, but you just don't like... When I was a student, like I, I, I really... For every piece of equipment I bought, I actually had to work a lot to, <laughs> to buy it. Yeah, there's one of those things like with me and uh, in the photography in the past when I was a student... Um, you have to work so long and so hard to finally buy that lens and um, it you, you really really take care of it and then like once once you're able to afford a, a, a lens like uh, a, a bit easier um, I, I definitely noticed that I um, am maybe I use it more like a tool um, it's not that I'm saying that I'm like reckless about it, but I I use it as a tool. I don't um I don't protect it like my I don't know like a butterfly or whatever. I I actually use it more fully because I I know that I am able to buy a new one if I break this one. 
Mm, exactly. I can totally relate, yeah, to lenses as well. And like high school when I was also like doing lots of the like photography, especially astrophotography. And right. it was exactly like this. And But on the other hand, I also kind of miss today the feelings of like doing these re really proper research like for months <laughs> and reading all the reviews online and all the websites that were back then and um, it was like some magical thing that when you actually got the money and then I ordered usually from the Germany the lenses and the photo equipment because it was um, it was cheaper like it was totally different experience of buying one piece than it was than it is today when I don't know. We have jobs now. The things became more affordable. So yeah. it's it's totally different. I kind of miss these old days, but um on the other hand, I, I wouldn't like I wouldn't switch now and go go back and being broke again. Yeah, me neither. I, I still remember uh ordering one Canon lens, uh an expensive Canon 70 200 lens uh from Hong Kong. And uh, because it was so expensive, it was over the credit card limits I had. So it was basically um, a direct bank transfer. And I was shaking for like three weeks whether I will get that lens or not. I, even though they had like 99.9 .9 review on eBay, mm -hmm. like I was so scared. I was so scared. Like, did I just lose all this money? Will I, will I ever get this lens? Oh, man, I will <laughs> I'll never forget that. Yeah, fun times, but it's only like 10 years ago or so. Yeah, I know, right? We we grew up so quickly. <laughs> That's right. Um, so you mentioned astrophotography. Um, I I don't know many people that do that, but maybe it's just like my, my selection bias. But um, how hard it is to do it with all this light pollution and all this in, in the cities? Do you have to go to like mountains or like seaside to get proper pictures or how... How did you approach that? Yeah, um, actually, let's say I my top career, <laughs> if I can put it like this, in astrophotography was just about yeah ten years ago, and already back then the um, situation about the light pollution was quite bad. I grew up in uh, eastern part of Slovenia near Krško, mm -hmm. um, and I usually went to do the astrophotography to Bohar, which is a hill there. And yeah, with the, with telescopes, um, the thing is that it totally depends what you're actually, um, what are trying to capture. If you're doing like the long exposure, deep sky astrophotography. So if you're going into like Milky Way, Nebula, galaxies, these kind of faint objects, uh, then you really are looking for the darkest sky that you can get. And sometimes even in Slovenia, um, you can get really good skies in the winter mm -hmm. when there's a fog, as we all know it in Ljubljana, we get a really nice fog here. Uh, so if, if you go to the hills around and you go above the fog, the fog is blocking a lot of the light pollution right. and the skies can be quite amazing. But in the summer, like, yeah, you try to avoid it like the cities as much as possible, uh, but you never really get the natural dark uh, sky here in in Europe actually in general pretty much did you ever go with a ferry to Greece or something like where where you are in the in the middle of the sea yeah okay um i went to greece now for past 4 years uh, mm -hmm. mostly for the 
windsurfing because in the summer there's that really good and stable wind that is blowing like for two months uh, on Karpatos, which is Greek island. Mm-hmm. And I also went there to see some skies in the night and it's, it's quite amazing. But the best skies I've ever seen was probably um, on Canary Islands, mm-hmm. on La Palma. There's a, a big observatory of European Space Agency there. And um, the island is quite unpopulated. It's, uh, yeah, La Palma, as I mentioned. Um, it's not so famous. It's also more distant. Not many people live there. And the skies there are amazing. And you also get a very uh, good altitude. So I think the peak there where the observatory is located is 3,800 meters. Uh, so the height also helps a lot with the transparency mm-hmm. and you get to see some things that you would never see anywhere else from Europe or from locations like this. Yeah, I'm asking because um, once upon a time uh, I was going to Greece quite often with a ferry um, and the thing is like this thing travels on, on sea like between uh, Italy and Croatia, which is like, and, and you are, wherever you look, it's just sea, like the, you don't see any islands, you don't see any land, you don't see anything. Um, and I I remember the first time I went out at night and looked up and I was like, whoa, I've never seen that many stars in my life. And it's because like it's in the middle of, of sea, like it's mm-hmm. not ocean or anything like that. I mean, it's still like Adriatic Sea, but still um, it was... It was a sight like I've never seen before, and I, I imagine you couldn't take good photos because like the the ferry is rocking and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if you would be able to to be there on on land or something, it it would be quite amazing. Yeah, that's correct. Unfortunately, I cannot say the same. I also been traveling to Greece by ferry. But usually there are like lots of lights on the deck. So mm. I, I couldn't, I, I tried to find a spot where I, because I know that the captain can see directly, uh, he doesn't have any uh, lights in his sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I couldn't find a place on, on that ferry that wouldn't have like lights directly blinding me. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine for photography, it's not this, but just like just seeing them with, with my eye. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, look at stars there are so many stars what happened yeah yeah yeah. and for me it's always fascinating to like when you read some old text or whatever where when people oriented by stars they didn't have compasses or whatever well they had compass but they didn't have like i don't know gps or anything like that Mm -hmm. and and you are wondering like how could they orient by stars you you see like i don't know 15 stars that's how can you orient by that but then you know oh there was no light pollution like at night it was dark so they could see way way more stars than we do so of course it's easier to orient yeah definitely there are even i i saw some like 150 or 200 years old old drawings of um let's when the comets uh like came Mm -hmm. um and they were like pictures drawn by hand from the from the cities like from london or from paris like a church there but lots of stars like when later on people analyze these images like they could find that the whoever drew the picture they um like 
also draw like the stars that are very faint that it's not possible to see them directly from any city in the mm-hmm. in the planet anymore so it must have been quite spectacular yes living back then but then again like when you, when you have things that are just common in your life and you see them every day you don't perceive them as spectacular oh, as, oh yeah as it yeah, would be sure. today to just maybe shut down i don't know nuclear plant in kershko today so <laughs> this part of the europe would be dark <laughs> no of course you, you see it just like uh, as a part of everyday life but yeah. to to us it would be something something else um and were you interested in like um stars and astrophysics or anything like that or just the photography of of stars uh, i was also interested in astrophysics and that's also why i went studying this um so it was kind of mixture of both but also i remember that in the high school i kind of knew already that i want to make a career as a software developer mm-hmm. and not as a let's say um researcher uh doing like working in at the institute or something like this mm-hmm. but i went studying astrophysics because it just I was so interested into this stuff and um I just wanted yeah to more more know more about it on the other hand I was still like developing already in the high school like freelancing a little bit selling the website so the money was mostly coming from that source and then I was buying the yeah the photography the lenses and telescopes mm-hmm. with it that that was how I Yeah, oh, I spent most of my high school I, I'm, life. I'm I'm laughing because it's very similar to my story. <laughs> that's that's basically what I did, but I I wasn't into astrophotography, but more like event photography. Mm. But still, like this equipment is expensive. Yeah, I I remember your um your work from the when we were in the high school. Yeah, way way back when. <laughs> yeah. But for astrophotography, you have to do some modifications on camera, right? You have to take out the IR filter. That's correct. Yeah, I did that to my old Canon 350D. Mm-hmm. And then I bought the second one for the daylight photography. Um, so yeah, I, I modified it. It's then much better because it's much more sensitive to the red part of the spectrum. And most of the nebulas on our skies um they are very bright in the red part of the spectrum so you can do shorter expositions for the same effect how scared were you were you doing that modification um a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah i uh, a friend of mine actually helped me do it which did another one before so it was much better than if i would be doing it completely out of the blue but still yeah it wasn't pleasant experience when we were dissembling the camera <laughs> uh, but when we put it together back then uh, switched it on and it was working out i was like yeah yeah let's <laughs> let's let's create some even better astrophotos yeah that's 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 really cool do you remember what inspired you to go into this field like did you watch some documentary or i don't know saw someone uh, speak on the topic or like did was there a, a point in your life where you were like oh this is what i want to do mm, not really except maybe that i first planned to go uh to the engineering uh, me- like mechanical engineering to study this mm-hmm. 
But then in the fourth grade of high school, um, I took it for Matura examination, the physics, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting that I changed my mind. Um, but I cannot recall if there was one specific moment that I can pinpoint to and say this moment like influenced me in a way that I went studying this. Yeah, um, I don't know. I was I was always sort of interested in the topic, but I guess not enough to to dive into because physics is a very wide and complex field that's always changing. Uh, unlike mathematics, which is like pretty much established. I mean, there are changing things on the on the far end, or uh, I don't know how you would call it, mm-hmm. but like the the majority of things pretty much stay unchanged. While with physics, I have a feeling that everything is constantly changing. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, even whatever I like, I learned that physics is like it's not relevant for doing any serious work today. So everything in physics that's happening today, and if you're having a job, you're basically the, a developer. And most probably quite a badass developer because <laughs> the amounts of data that are being processed are just huge. So the machine learning and this kind of stuff, all the stuff about AI and all this, um, you like people who are good at this, they kind of uh, probably work in in somewhere in in this science area either being a subatomic level um in cern or something like that or in the like space something something related to space so the amounts of data for being analyzed it's you you just cannot do it manually like you cannot do it by writing something down you you analyze it by writing a software uh, program which processes to you and then it's all about uh, data visualization so you mm-hmm. you get some some insights from all this process data like i said i was never <laughs> into it deep enough <laughs> to to look further than just watch the i don't know neil degrasse tyson <laughs> explain things <laughs> <laughs> i know you just came back from uh, indonesia um so and you left your laptop at home if uh well i i hope you did that's that's what you said you'll do yeah 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 i did yes and how was that oh that was amazing i think that was my longest vacation i ever took like since we started proteus teams together with uh, yaka my co-founder and um it's interesting to take like to take a look back I always wanted to have a company like with this mindset that I will go around and I would be working from whenever I go. And so I went for four years in a row now in uh, Greece to Karpatos for one month and a half to two months. And I was working there all the time. And I was always uh, living in this illusion that this is what I like to do. But somehow this winter, uh, we went with the friends to uh, to ski in Alps just for one week. Actually, I, I just uh, made it a little bit shorter because I, I had some other things to do here in Slovenia. So I only mm-hmm. took a break four days and it was so amazing. Like I really needed this. And then I figure out like, 
maybe that old system when you really go and take a break and you don't think about work for a week or two it's it can really be like good thing and maybe that other thing like it's it's maybe a lie at least for me i don't know i cannot speak for everyone but for me i i am sure now that this is much much better like being focused 100% on work but from time to time also like disconnecting completely and letting everyone else handling the yeah the the task the daily task the job mm-hmm. and um this was this was amazing experience in indonesia now so i had that te- temptation a lot at the in in the first week um but my girlfriend then like kind of helped me overcome this and after that it was like truly um relaxing mm-hmm. i don't know how to say it differently but yeah it's it's what um americans call workation which is not a vacation um yeah it's uh we we had this discussion at my uh previous company which um encouraged this working from anywhere mentality and how this is basically a workation and like you're uh this is uh, was also remote first they were saying like oh you're you're free to take however you want and you can work wherever you want but yeah you're still working so it's not really for for me personally it's even more stressful cuz i don't have my equipment that i have at home like i don't have my huge monitor i don't have my espresso machine <laughs> i don't have stuff that i rely on on daily work so mm-hmm. it's actually it's harder to work on in a different place for me uh, so I was never um, too fond of vacations like that, but there's always this need, like you said, to check emails or, or not need, like an urge to check emails, to check Slack, to check what's happening, and you never really disconnect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So for me, as as I said, like amazing experience. Um, also, f- first of this kind, but I will do it more in the future. So. I, I can definitely recommend it and I like purposely left things at home. Uh, so I even told like my employees, like you can, you'll be in, in case of emergency, you can call me, but I won't be able to help you with anything else than just maybe advice or mm-hmm. uh, tapping you on the back. Like <laughs> you're doing good and let's find someone who, who can solve the issue. And, you know, at, at the end, we all figure out that we're not that much important and nothing like the world doesn't stop if we're not checking email every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the whole experience makes the company more like resilient. Yeah, there's a great analogy I, I heard a while back. Like anyone who thinks is irreplaceable should stick their finger in like a bucket of water and when they remove the finger from the bucket, like, is there a hole or did the water fill it? <laughs> and it's, you know, it's so great because you think like, oh, nothing can work without me there. Or like everything will break if I go or if I don't reply to this email in the next five minutes, something will happen. But in reality, it's rarely, rarely that important. Absolutely. Yeah. And how did your email inbox look like when, when you opened it? <laughs> Actually, I, I uh, set up automatic um, responder. 
Okay. And it said like, um, I'm on vacations. I'm not checking email. And when I come back, I will not read it. So you will have to contact me again after the date. Uh, I will just delete everything. Oh, that's cool. And that was it. Uh, actually, I lied a little bit. I still skimmed through, <laughs> but it took me one hour to go through the three weeks worth of emails. So oh. it, it's not a lot. I mean, I, I guess I spend daily at least half an hour, if not one hour in my inbox. So, And I guess you just removed all the emails that had GDPR in title. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all promotions that actually. Yeah. And updates pretty much. Yeah. So there was just some things in my inbox, but none of them. Like if I would delete everything, I would miss the thing. Yeah, that's... Um... I think it's something Tim Ferriss was talking about at some point. I don't remember. Was it in the podcast or in a book where I read it? Um, but yeah, basically he wanted to do the same thing. So look at email less. And he set up like an uh, automatic responder that like, I only read emails at 5 p.m. on Wednesdays. If you if you really need me, here's my number or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, that's that's really in encouraging. I should, I mean, I can do it, and I do sort of do it uh, when I go on vacation. I try to completely disconnect, but um, you know, the, like I said, there's there's always this urge to check Slack at least or or something like that. And um, sometimes, yeah, it's better to really be non-available than to give the illusion that yeah, maybe he's there, but. Um, probably not because mm -hmm. then the people still try oh you're you're there or but if they know you're not there they will just bug someone else mm -hmm. exactly yeah and about like mostly about doing this is like making a decision it's not about really as you said before nobody's really irreplaceable it's just that we want to have this feeling that we're irreplaceable mm -hmm. so the hardest part is just deciding and deciding for yourself that you will do it and it always helps to to have people around you that are like this because i imagine if i would be traveling alone this can be much more hard to do mm -hmm. um, because then you're always falling back to online world yeah i i have a uh, lot of friends from previous companies who are like digital nomads they come they call themselves like they're traveling constantly and I like I really really love the idea but I know I personally could not do that like it would drive me insane like not having everything that I'm used to it's just yeah I I can't work like that. Mm -hmm. I I'm absolutely with you here. It can work with some people. For me I figured out that uh it's not really uh the best thing to do for me for my mental health like mm -hmm. let's say and speaking of mental health, I I read uh, your stuff a long time ago, and I completely forgot about it until I did uh, some research um, again for the podcast. Um, so I remember that you went through the like depression periods, um, and and like you encountered burnout and uh, all all stuff like that. So um, what are what were sort of like the things you try to do now to to avoid going back to that? Um, yeah, I, I had some quite tough months. Uh, most of them happened in the last two years because in the first two or three, uh, depending on how you 
how it defined when we really started Proteus teams, mm-hmm. the things were just going um, uphill. So uh, when the, you're making like the next month, you're making more than the rest, it's like kind of that's the fuel that you're burning and it's always enough of it. So um, you always have motivation to pursue further, to you have lots of ideas. And then the conditions on the market changed a little bit. We stagnated, so let's be honest with ourselves. So I I didn't really have that um, experience I have now. That's kind of to, to get the feeling when the business starts stagnating and you're just hoping that the things will eventually change, which just don't, <laughs> obviously. Uh, so... Um, yeah, then, then I started having like this feeling firstly that I'm responsible for everyone in my company and they're relying here and they're, they're having jobs. And, um, yeah, that I'm, um, obviously need to like take care of them and so on, which is, which is a lie because everyone working in our company, uh, is firstly adult. The, Second thing, we're in the IT where everyone can get a job quickly. And I'm confident that everyone who, who are at Proteus Teams are professional. So we could easily, each one of us could get a nice job. And um, yes, the Proteus Teams as a company obviously doesn't have to exist. Like if, if I don't feel good about doing some decision or doing some things that I don't want to do. For example, one of that was um, w- whether we should uh, switch to more agency type of work, so selling hours instead of products. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't um, comfortable with this idea, but you cannot just find sometimes good, um, good, let's say, reasons uh, for not doing this. So, and kind of takes time and like leap of faith that sometimes it's good enough that you don't have that um, gut, good gut feeling about this. And it's a good reason enough for not doing it is that you don't want to do it. And that's pretty much it. So with these new, let's say, experiences that I gained through some of these periods, it's not now much easier to define when I'm sliding back to that depression mode and <laughs> I, before I get there, I start talking to people. I start talking to, uh, Yaka. I get uh, professional help if needed. And it works now, I would say extremely well. And also, um, we encourage this a lot, this very transparent, um, company culture where we, Yaka and I talk a lot, like much more than we used to, to each other about these issues we have and, uh, that we take like vacations like this. I started tracking my hours because I, when I started, <laughs> I realized I'm a workaholic and I kind of try to, uh, give a good example to everyone else that I'm, pushing enough myself that will survive. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, that was just doing lots of like not doing any any good to the company at all and to the employees. Yeah, that's the thing with like remote work. Um, when people say, oh, if everyone will be working remotely, I can't look at them. They're not in the office. They will just slack all the time. 
But what happens in reality, at least that's my experience, when people are driven about the company, about the product, about whatever it is you're doing, they end up overworking because there are no external barriers that would they like, oh, people are leaving, so I guess it's time to go home. Mm-hmm. Um, like, especially if you're working from home and you're alone or whatever, you just keep on working and you, you have your laptop next to your, I don't know, TV or whatever. And you're watching something, the ads come up, you're bored, you take up laptop and bam, there's another hour of work. And um, this this is at least what I saw. It happens quite frequently. And then you have to deal with burnout of these people. Yeah. And I'm guessing that same thing happened, happened to you even more so because you're the owner. Yeah, exactly. This happened um, and like starting tracking my time and defining like the the company rules uh like the the culture we have like that we now have written rules about this and one of these rules says we don't work extra hours never ever um they're not paid so if you want to work like it's up to you but (laughs) (laughs) there's no benefit in working any extra minute so even if you do like um because we're like creatives and sometimes you just want to finish something. You don't want to go home before you like get commit, get push. <laughs> uh, but then if you just do, just track these hours. And if you next day come half an hour late, no problem. But you won't get like paid these extra hours you've been working. And this helped me a lot, really. I, when, when I started tracking, I figured out I'm like doing, um, like half percent more than I should. Um, so now it's like very clear. I track my time. Um, I also like categorize a little bit. So the tasks that are like, are, is it, uh, important or not? And is it urgent or not? And now when we go to brainstorming retreat, I will have this presentation. I will like analyze a little bit the couple of months and I will see if I, how I progressed. I don't know. Honestly, I have a feeling that I I did, but uh, it would be nice to take a look at the numbers and see if I really did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One one of the things that um, helped me when I was facing similar things is that, um, just long story short, my problem was that I worked on many things and um, I wanted to, because I really liked doing all of them and sleep had the lowest priority. So, uh being at my at my faculty so studying and working uh, as a programmer and working outside and parties and concerts i really enjoyed doing that and this has had the highest priority while sleeping had the lowest priority and this eventually resulted in a burnout so the biggest change i did was uh putting sleep first so i always have now well seven and a half hours of sleep i mean of course there's like times where i'm still going out or whatever and i will skip a day or whatever but i really really do put sleep first in like regular days and i know you you did a similar similar change yeah awesome i like i like uh speaking about that yeah i also uh, did that especially when i started um in the autumn last autumn that was now yeah more than half year ago i started going to the gym in the morning mm-hmm. um, and I hired a personal trainer, uh, which is just, uh, let's say, um, a reason not to skip <laughs> mm-hmm. any sessions. 
Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a motivation that you buy, right? Yeah, 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 obviously. And we started at we, we started seven, so I avoid most of the traffic um, jam in the morning. Mm-hmm. And my previous routine was that usually I came to office between eight and nine. So I woke up uh, uh, an hour before that. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, yeah, Mondays and Fridays waking up at six and other days waking up at uh, 7.30 or 8. And that was just not um, working out well. And so I decided I'll just start um, waking up every time at the same time, which also means that I want to have, uh, as you said, seven hours and a half of uh, quality sleep. So I started going to bed at the same time every day. As you said, sometimes you skip it, but in general, you want to stick to it. Mm-hmm. And one of the best things also I did, it's so, I, I feel so much better. I work better. I like, I feel great in my body now, yeah. which uh, was not a case often before that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. And you know, everyone keeps saying, Oh, get enough sleep, get enough sleep. And you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead or shit like that. Yeah. But thing is like, it, it really, you, it has a, a huge impact on like how how you work, how you think. Like I'm able to think clearer, to actually come up with good ideas if I'm well rested, and if I'm not, I I just don't. And it's also a good point that you brought up is that like being consistent about waking time, because um, it's not just amount of sleep. There are some studies that indicate that like it's actually. Um, to, to have consistent sleeping schedule is what will um, what, what's even more important. Yeah, I'm still working now on getting back from the jet lag uh, <laughs> because I was uh, in Indonesia. Yeah, three weeks is a long time. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I'm I'm getting back to it now. Except that um, now I'm um, I'm going to windsurfing in the morning a lot. Um, because it's that part of the year that there's a good thermic wind uh, very early in the morning near Rijeka or Opatia. Mm-hmm. There uh, is uh, one small bay where there's a morning wind. So today I woke up at 3 a.m. <laughs> just just to went to actually went to Pustoina and realized that it's not so good forecast. So I turned around and went back. So I, I, I missed the one hour of sleep today and I just to make a, a trip to Pustoyan and back. <laughs> uh, well, you know, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, like with the, with the windsurfing, you're just... You, you adapt to the wind forecast. You cannot... <laughs> force the weather to do a favor so you just check a lot the the weather the forecasts um and yeah see if when it's good forecast you go so what was the turning point for you changing the the sleep habits um mostly that i started working out in like going to the gym in the morning and i figure out then yeah like i'm completely fucked up if i wake up one day at 6 a.m and the other days at eight or yeah nine yeah but um that also that you get consistent like eight hours or seven and a half or whatever did you do that before as well or um... no i didn't Ah, Uh, i was really bad at it and i actually i always believed 
like I'm not a morning person. And like most of the things that I, I figured out over the years is that it's a lot about um, deciding and developing a skill. Mm-hmm. It's not so much of making excuse what you are and what you're not, but most of the things is not are not like a talent or some gift, but uh, the passion for something and decision for something and then developing a skill for something. So mm-hmm. now I don't have problems waking up uh, in the morning and I even try waking up uh, so early during the weekends because otherwise it's again like that uh, weird state when over the weekends people just then lay until 10 a.m. in the in the bed. Um, otherwise they're waking up at 6. It's It, it just doesn't work. So um, I also try to now wake up in the morning um, early over the weekends. That definitely struck a chord with me like when people want to put labels on and and everything and i think this is especially true for like um, in america it's like you're morning person or you're not like you're an evening person or you're a night owl or you're an introvert or you're an outrovert or yeah, stuff like yeah. that and for me it's like it's a scale it's a sliding scale it's not um I, either or it's like this this life is not binary we are not yeah. binary <laughs> like, yeah um, you maybe are more introverted or in some areas or maybe more extroverted in other areas or, or I don't know, stuff like that. Um, and yeah, whenever people put labels on it, I'm always like, I want to be that engineer that says, well, it depends. <laughs> it, it always depends. Like sometimes I'm not a morning person, but sometimes I do my best work in the morning. Like it, mm-hmm. it completely depends on um, how rested I am and what kind of coffee I had in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> are, are there any other habits that, well, we, we um, talked a bit before that you are sort of, um, battling and preventing uh, depression and like burnout and stuff like that. Are there any other changes that that you did other than like uh, sleep schedule and taking vacation without computers and you know? Uh, mostly is uh, mental switch I made. Uh, that part that I was talking about being responsible about everyone in the company. Mm-hmm. So this is actually a very huge. Um, huge thing like uh, it can be very overwhelming having all this pressure on your shoulders all the time so when you when you do the mental switch i i don't know how to say it differently because even i don't know like i i had to i don't know go through it and then decide it and just like writing down also i have on my on my note in my phone i have a reason why i have a, this company um which is not because I want to get rich or something like that, but but it's because I want to have a sandbox where I play, where I do things differently than most of um, other companies do. And um, one of the things that I'm most proud of and is that, um, for example, we have these maybe strange rules about um, how we approach the work and the working hours, which is obviously influenced by, I don't know, people like um, um, like Basecamp, like Jason Fried and so on. Um, and, and what are those uh, strange rules? Yeah, one of these is that we don't work extra hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other is like, yeah, we have, um, okay, on the, um, about speaking sp- about mental health, yeah, these uh, brainstorming retreats, let's say, um the then 
a lot of other things are quite, let's say, usual perks in the IT, like really encouraging everyone to find, let's say, conferences and the areas he wants to improve. So we're not like pushing ourselves and all our stuff in doing the things that they don't like to do, even though that sometimes, obviously, we have to like um, also work on the things that we are not the most excited about mm -hmm. but it shouldn't extend through indefinitely like there are like small areas for a certain period of time we do this even though we don't all like it a lot for a bigger reward at the end um i i, I should go through again maybe to pinpoint some of them but mm -hmm. then again the listeners can also go we, you can leave the uh, the link to our company culture yeah I, i saw that you did a youtube video on it on the proteus manifesto yeah yeah exactly it's it's a start like most of the things so uh it's not it's a moving target so mm. uh, but it's good to have things at least to start somewhere and then adapt uh, when you see what works what doesn't what doesn't yeah yeah i i agree Okay, um, I, I really like talking about this because I still think it's not discussed enough in like um, wide area. It's it's improving, like people are starting to talk a bit more about burnout and imposter syndrome and stuff like that. But I still feel it's sort of like a taboo theme, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So on on that note, maybe you can recommend something good. Like what would be three books or articles or videos that you can recommend um i have prepared for this question <laughs> i noticed that you always ask so <laughs> yeah that's that's a problem of of uh, <laughs> getting sort of uh known it's it's maybe better when you're not expecting <laughs> and for me i think it's uh, i i can give better recommendation than i would give out of my head so the first uh, the business book is uh, by ricardo semler maverick really good one um it's basically just about these things how to run company totally different that everyone will tell you this is not uh how you will succeed and it turns out that the things at the end are doing like you're just doing much better than anyone else who is saying that this is not the right way to do mm -hmm. then um the second one is a science fiction book that i enjoyed a lot uh, recently And I now always read the books at the same time. So business in the like in the morning or through, uh, throughout the day and in the evening, never business, because then I just think about too much before I go to sleep. So <laughs> science fiction for the evening. And that's uh, Hyperion by Dan Simmons. Really good science fiction book. And uh, the last one is article by Tim Urban. Um, he has uh, that blog, Wait by Why, and um, there is an essay which is quite old. I think I read it about four or five years ago about the artificial intelligence, and it's one of the best um, read I ever had, like totally different perspective, not the one that we usually get from the movies. Okay, that's... Uh... This sounds great. And you, you flew right through them because you were prepared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, uh, Primoz. This was, this was really... I, I really enjoyed this interview. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. This was my interview with Primoz. Parallel Passion is a new podcast, so please share it with your friends and followings. One way to do so is to write a review in Apple Podcasts. Or if you use a different app, you should rate, favorite, like, or whatever your podcast app of choice supports. 
But please do something, anything, because it really, really helps. If you enjoyed this show and want me to keep at it, you can support it with your hard-earned money. You can do so via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash That's patreon.com slash P-A-R-P-A-S-P-O-D. Or open the show notes in your podcast app and follow the Patreon link there. Every euro or dollar counts. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We are at PowerPassPod on all of them. You can retweet, share, like and submit feedback there. All the links from this episode are in the show notes and on our website parallelpassion.com slash 8. Thank you and have a passionate day.